All right. Today, depending on where you were looking for lectionary readings, or if you saw the lectionary readings I sent out via the Church One app, you may go, what is happening? What something doesn't make any sense. In fact, if you look at the, see if I have it here. I may not have it pulled up. If you look at, um, yes, this is the United States Bishops, or not, United State Conference of Catholic Bishops. It's their website. They have the daily readings. If you look, January 3rd, 2024, it says Christmas weekday, lectionary 206, depending on which copy of the lectionary you have. And the readings are 1 John 2, 29 through chapter 3, verse 6. You have the Psalm as Psalm 98, and then you have the Gospel as John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. However, if you scroll down just a little further on that website, you will see readings for the optional memorial. Now, this optional memorial is really kind of for one specific group within Catholicism, but it is an optional memorial, meaning any Catholic church could use this, this lectionary today. So we're going, that's the one I sent out because once I, once I realized what today was for the optional memorial, I'm like, we cannot overlook that. So if you have a Bible, go to Philippians. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for the last yesterday and today, then you have an idea where we're going. If you haven't, well, we'll, we'll it'll all make sense here in a minute. Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, we will start in verse 1, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, I'll try not to give anything away as we go through the readings, if you didn't, if you, if you weren't listening last night or if you don't know what's going on, then you may, then this, this will be a good exercise, if you already know what's going on, then you already know the answer, but you try to figure out what all of these readings have in common. All right, you ready? Here we go. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other Better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the first reading. Sometimes I skip the, the psalm. Sometimes I do, but this time I'm not skipping the psalm. And even this, the psalms are different depending on where you look, but I'm going to go now to EWTN because they have for the psalm today, Psalm 113. Go to Psalm 113. So we read Philippians. You know the passage. Now, Think about what was in Philippians and see if anything, anything like that shows up in Psalm 113. 
All right. Psalm 113. Everyone ready? Psalm 113, start in verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in the uh, heaven that are in heaven and in the earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. He lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Did you see what Philippians 2 and Psalm 113 have in common? Did you catch it? Is that a no? Nobody caught it? All right, nobody caught it. Okay. All right, then we'll go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. Now we read this very familiar passage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on the wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in uh, in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Uh, And now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with a child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, does anybody catch the the thing that that they all have in common? Philippians, the Psalm and Matthew. Well, one thing is repeated in all three. In fact, it's the exact same word that's repeated multiple times. I think it's repeated two, maybe three times in Philippians. It's repeated two or three times in the Psalm. It's repeated, I think, two times right there in Matthew. I think a total of maybe seven uses or six uses, the same word. Okay, name, thank you. Okay, someone get it. The word name. Okay, let's go back and see if we can find it since everyone missed it. Go back to Philippians 2, right? Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him of the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So it's used three times right there. Psalm 113, praise the Lord, praise, O ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, that's used twice right there. So that's a total of five times, correct? 
I don't know if it shows up again in the psalm. And then in Matthew 1.18, you're going to call his name okay, Jesus, right? Okay, and then he goes on to say, his name shall be called Emmanuel. So it's used twice, right? So how many times is name used in those three passages? That's seven times, all right? Seven times. So that, yeah, that's, that's usually a good clue when you're reading, see what's being repeated, right? And so that's repeated multiple times. If the lectionary gives you three readings that repeat something seven times, there's a, probably a good idea why, right? Because this day is the memorial day for the holy name of Jesus. So what we're going to do, first we're going to talk about the importance of names in Scripture. Then we're going to talk about the history, a little bit of history, and the principles are derived from this. And then we're going to try to figure out what to do. Now, whenever you're doing lectionary preaching and teaching like this, well, one difficulty, at least I have, the difficulty I have, is sometimes the readings throw out kind of a topic or something at you, and you're like, what do you do with it? Because it's this gigantic topic. For example, on Sunday, what were we dealing with? Love not the world. Well, that's a, <laughs> no, I can preach it the way it typically works, which would just tell you, hey, love not the world, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, and everybody will say amen, and everyone goes home and basically does all of those things, so it really doesn't, all right, so I, but I don't, I think there, sometimes these topics require more. Now, this one is a topic that I don't, I, I'm a little bit, I don't know. Sometimes I pick, like I could have avoided this, right? I could have just used the other lectionary, right? First John, you're in John chapter one. Some of those passages are pretty simple and straightforward. I could have developed an outline of that or I could have done whatever I wanted to. But I have a tendency, especially when I'm doing the lectionary, is I typically pick what? That which is much more complicated and much more difficult because I like the challenge for myself. And because I like to go, what do I do? So when I say something, when I see something like the memorial for the holy name of Jesus, all right. Now I know in some forms of Christianity, the name of Jesus is used frequently. They like that phrase, right? I cast you out in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you are healed, right? They love to say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. So they believe that there's a significance in even using the phrase, right? We pray in the name of Jesus. It's a phrase so many people use, but sometimes when you really try to say, well, what does it do for you when you use that phrase? Is there, well, there's, and they try to talk about it. Well, clearly, even in church history, they thought there was something significant here. So, well, let's try to figure out the significance of names in general, then we'll apply those concepts to this memorial. Then we'll try to look at just some basic principles, all right? So let's start with names, all right? Just the concepts of names. In the Bible, names carry significant meaning and symbolism. So names carry significant meaning and symbolism, meaning there's significance to the name. There's, so when we talk about the memorial, the, the memorial of the of the holy name of Jesus, it would have the same idea. There's significance to it, and there's symbolism. There's going to be symbolism attached to it. Names in the Bible often serve as more than just uh, 
then just for individuals, they can reflect their character, their identity, their purpose, or even a prophetic message. So a name can reflect character, identity, purpose, or even prophetic messages. And we see that, right? If we look at the names of, of the children given by Isaiah, you look at the names at the beginning of Ruth, and you're like, whoa, those, those have significance. Sometimes the names carry great prophetic significance or just great significance about their character, or it can be symbolism of what's going on in the story. So that's always something you have to cons- consider. Uh, here, so here are some of the few key aspects of the significance of names in the Bible. All right, here, number one. Here are some of the key aspects. When it comes to names in the Bible, number one, identity and meaning. Names in the Bible often convey the identity or characteristics of the person or object they represent. Right? So they give identity and meaning. They convey the identity and characteristics of the person or object they represent. Jacob's name basically means what? What does Jacob's name mean? Nobody knows what Jacob's name means. That's pretty significant to the whole story. Supplanter, hill grabber. Okay, right, okay, right, yes. Yeah, which reflected his nature as one who grabbed his twin brother Esau's heel at his birth and later deceived him for his birthright, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can go through name after name after name. Now, sometimes the name carries something significant. Sometimes you're just kind of like, Not so sure, right? So you always want to be careful not to make a name mean more than it does, but you don't want to make the mistake of ignoring the name because sometimes the name is identifying character or purpose and and sometimes it's really central to the narrative which is being established. That's why every part of the Bible, every single detail is not as important and is significant, right? Does everybody understand that? So the first major principle, identity and meaning. Number two, naming conventions. In biblical time, names were given based on various factors. Sometimes names were given to commemorate events or experiences. Isaac, which means... Laughter, okay, good. Laughter, named after Sarah's laughter at the news of her impending pregnancy. Other times, names were chosen based on aspirations or hopes of the parents. Samuel, which means? Asked of God. Okay, all right. So clearly we need to do sermons on names of people in the Bible. (laughs) That's what I'm catching on here, okay? Whenever whenever you're reading the Bible and it gives someone's name, your first thought should be, what does that name mean? That should be your first thought. And most of the, and all the examples I gave, the Bible tells you what it means. You don't even have to look it up, okay? It's actually in the text, okay? It's actually there. So you don't even have to look it up. But you need to know them because it's really significant to the overall story, all right? Everybody got that? So identity and meaning, naming conventions, the reasons they're given, because sometimes they're given to commemorate events or experiences. Prophetic messages. In some instances, names were given to individuals as prophetic messages or signs of future events. For example, the prophet Isaiah named one of his sons Shirar Jashab, 
which means a remnant shall return, symbolizing God's message of hope and restoration of the people of Israel. So he did not just give them. Now, typically the text tells you why they're given the name. But even if it doesn't tell you, if the text doesn't tell you, look it up. Know why. Now, sometimes you, you may think, oh, I wonder if that's significant. Sometimes it may not. Sometimes you have preachers who will give you a list of names in the Bible, give you the meaning of each name, and say, put that together, and it means this. And everybody in the congregation goes, oh, wow, that's so awesome. And then you go home and look it up, and guess what you find? It's not true, okay? So, because there's a lot of that. I've seen that a lot of times in churches, right? And you're like, whoa, those names mean that. That's awesome. And then you go look it up and you're like, what are you talking about, right? Remember, we, we, uh, we, we also had that discussion about how pastors say things about love, agape, and, and, they, and then they say, these loves are, and then sometimes when you look, they're kind of actually used interchangeably and they, it doesn't carry the significance like some people Remember when we looked that up and we were all kind of like, oh, well, that's not as exciting as it's preached. Because sometimes claims, so when it comes to names, if someone tells you a name means something, what do you do? Look it up, okay? If you read it, what do you do? Look it up. So whose responsibility is it to know the meaning of the names? Yours, not mine. It's yours, right? Now, if you're Catholic, you could just say, well, no, it's yours, because, but... You're not Catholic, so you, that's what you get. If you don't want, the Catholic, if you don't want the, a magisterial authority to rule over you, then whose responsibility does it become? Becomes yours. Right? It's like Protestants want the power. They don't always want to take the responsibility that comes with it because a lot does, all right? Changing names. The Bible also records instances where God changed the names of individuals to reflect their new roles or identities. For example, Abram's name was changed to... Abraham, signifying his new status as to the father of many nations. Similarly, Simeon's, Simon's name was changed to Peter, symbolizing his new role as the foundational rock upon which Jesus would build his church. Now, I know not everyone would agree with that statement. Okay, many would strongly <laughs> disagree with that statement. So we, we won't get into there. But clearly his name was changed, right? That's the main thing. So the main thing is sometimes names are changed in the Bible, and you need to know when the names are changed, Right? Remember, I told you one time in a Sunday school class, someone preached a, like a whole Sunday school lesson on Abram and Abraham. Like there were two different people and you're kind of like, uh, that's the same guy? Like, did you not? Oh, that's so sad. Okay, but the, I mean, <laughs> things happen. I mean, like, I mean, I mean, hey, you can, I mean, anything can go wrong, but I'm just saying things, bad, bad things can happen when sometimes people, when it comes to Sunday school, a lot of churches put who to teach Sunday school? Anyone. <laughs> okay, right, okay. Because they got to, for some weird reason, they don't think you can sit in the sanctuary to learn for Sunday school. You have to have Sunday school class. Like, have you ever, has that ever made any sense to you? Why do you, like, if you don't, and in many cases, those teachers are not qualified. They don't, they don't, it's, it, may, it may not even be qualified. They may not actually care to put in the work. Now, some will put in the work. So churches have to really monitor, monitor. Same thing with small groups. That's another bad thing about small groups. You get, you meet outside the church and then who's running the small group? So now I'm not saying it's always that bad. I mean, that's an exaggerated one, but you get the idea. All right, so 
key principles, identity and meaning, naming conventions. We got to know that there's reasons that they gave names, and it's usually based on many factors, prophetic messages, changing names, which can be significant. This one, divine revelation. Names in the Bible can also reveal aspect of God's character and nature. For example, Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide, which reflects God's provision for Abraham when he had provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac. Other names such as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, or Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, reveals different aspects of God's character and his relationship with humanity. Now, so there's divine revelation attached to names. The names provide some kind of divine revelation, and we should, should pay attention to that. Overall, names in the Bible hold great significance and are often used to convey deeper truths, spiritual lessons, or divine messages. They provide insights into the nature of individuals and their relationship with God. So they immediately we know names are important. Got it? Now, because names are important, well, we know one thing about Jesus. He has names, right? In fact, we know two of them just from the lectionary reading in Matthew. What were the two given? Jesus and Emmanuel, and both of the names are explained there, but they're showing you that those names carry great significance. Then in Philippians, it tells us that the name of Jesus, go look at Philippians, what does it tell us about the name of Jesus? Oh, hang on, I take this back. There is some debate in church history. That name in Philippians, there's some debate on which name that is, so I'm kind of giving away. I just did a podcast a couple of hours ago on this. All right, that in Philippians 2, what does it say about that name that's given? Every knee will bow, but I think it says something before about every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But before that, it's above all names. Everybody see that? It's above all names. It's above all names. Now, just so that you know, I don't have time to go into this. I just did a podcast about this. There is debate about what that name is. Because it says, wherefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a name, or I've given you a name. How, what's the exact language? I don't have the text in front. He's given him a name which is above every name. There are some who say that cannot be Jesus, because Jesus was a very common name at the time. Very common. So they're like, that wouldn't be above every name. Others say, well, there's a reason that it is Jesus. And then others say, no, it's Lord. And others say, no, it's... Okay, we can debate all day. I, I think the text will, gives it away. And some connect it to Revelation. I think it's 19, if someone will look. Revelation 19, I think it's verse 7, maybe verse 8, where it speaks of uh, Jesus having a name that only he knows. I think it's 7, maybe it's 8, I don't know. I, I mentioned it on the podcast. I'm just throwing that out there so that y'all get all the benefits of everything. Okay, I think it's night, chapter 19. I think it's verse 7. Yeah, chapter 19. I think it's verse 7. It could be verse 8. could be verse 9. could be verse 10. could be verse 5. I don't know. I know it's in chapter 19. Okay? I'm going from memory here, people. It was a couple of hours ago. I can look it up if I need to. Do I need to? Nobody can find it. 
Oh, verse 12, okay. Yeah, so he has a name. So some people believe that name is the name that's given to him in Philippians, and it's a name nobody knows, so therefore it's not Jesus, and it's not Lord. There's a lots of disputes here, okay? But I believe the text in Philippians, I'm just, just my theory that I gave, I think it's Jesus. And the reason I think it's Jesus is because of the context. Jesus is mentioned before the verse where it says gives the name, and immediately after Jesus is mentioned multiple times. So I think the context says it's Jesus, but we could have, we could, we could argue all day. But, The point is, names are significant. Jesus has names. Can we all say amen? And the early church was like, well, then what name can more important than that? We're going to have a memorial for it. We're going to make it important. So here's a little bit of the history. I'm going to go quickly through this, all right? The memorial of the holy name of Jesus is a liturgical celebration. I want to say in the whole Catholic Church, but as we can already tell, it's an optional memorial. So it's not going to necessarily be celebrated in every Catholic Church. But it's a memorial that is celebrated within the Catholic Church that honors the name of Jesus. It is observed on January 3rd. Okay, very good. Each year, the history and principle, uh, here are some of the histories and principles. Historical background. The veneration of the holy name of Jesus dates back to the early centuries of Christianity. Devotion to the name of Jesus grew out of the recognition of its significance in the the New Testament and the belief that power and authority was attached to it. So the early church venerated the holy name of Jesus And they gave devotion to the name of Jesus because they believed that the name of Jesus carried power and authority. So they venerated it. There was devotion to it. There was something about that name. And they believed that there was some power and authority associated with it. Now, could that be abused? Yeah. Because you could go, we're going to go over here and we're going to take this over in the name of Jesus. And because we're doing it in the name of Jesus, we have the power and authority to do it. You can see how that could become very detrimental, right? So what does it mean to, to have veneration and devotion to the name of Jesus? Well, we, we can talk a little bit about that maybe, all right? So th- there's a little bit here. Now, there's a certain group that comes along that really turns this into the memorial, right? Does anybody think they know who they are? I'll start spelling it and see if you can guess it as I start spelling it out. F, R, Franciscans. Yes, the Franciscan order is the one that comes along and the Franciscans, in fact, the lectionary that I read from was the Franciscan lectionary. The Franciscan order is the one that comes along. This is sometimes referred to as the Franciscan influence. The specific institution of the feast day is attributed to the efforts of the Franciscan order. In the 15th century, St. Bernardine, as I guess is the best way I can pronounce his name, St. Bernardine of Cyania was instrumental in popularizing the devotion to the holy name of Jesus. So just you, the main thing you need to know, 15th century, St. Bernardine. 
B, uh, Bernardine. Yeah, okay, I'm saying it right. B-E-R-N-A-R-D-I-N-E. Bernardine, all right? And he made it popular, this devotion of Jesus. He preached extensively on the topic and tried to get people focusing on this idea. All right? So it goes back. So as far as the name is concerned, veneration and, and reverence and devotion to the name, that goes back early. Everybody got that? But it was the Franciscan influence. And what's his name again? St. Bernardine of Cyenia. Cyena, I mean, however you want to say it. And he was instrumental in popularizing the devotion. Right? Now, the spiritual significance. The celebration of the memorial of the most holy name of Jesus aims to deepen the understanding and reverence for the name of Christ. It serves as a reminder of the central role of Jesus in the Christian life, emphasizing his divinity, his divinity, his redemptive work, and his salvific work. So it's set apart January the 3rd, as you, which is kind of interesting. How do you end the church year uh, in the liturgical calendar? What is the last Sunday of the church year liturgical calendar? Christ the King Sunday. All right. Then on January the 3rd, the memorial for the holy name of Jesus. Right. So you end the year with Jesus, and then in a sense you're starting the year focusing on the name of Jesus. All right. That's kind of the the spiritual significance that they're trying to create. Now, again, it's, only, it's an optional memorial, meaning that no one is under any obligation to remember it, but it was, would obviously be something of great significance. All right, so there's, a little, there's the historical background, there's the Franciscan influence, and there's the spiritual significance. Now they're going to talk a little bit about the name of Jesus. Now there's a lot, I've got lots of articles here that gives us some of the significance about the name of Jesus. So we, uh, some, this may get a little repetitive, but I want to just drive some of these points on. We're going to look up a lot of scriptures and we're just going to see. So, so, what's, so we've got the significance of names and now you've got the history of the memorial, right? Now, at this point, what should be the most pressing question and our minds about the name of Jesus and having veneration or devotion or having an entire day set aside to remember the name of Jesus. What is a question that should rise to our mind or in our mind about this? Well, I don't think it's an, well, it's an issue maybe on how then does it fit Philippians 2. I think the question we should have is, okay, it's the, it's the memorial day for the holy name of Jesus. What do I do with it? Do I just spend time remembering? Okay, what is the name of Jesus? Do I make a list and memorize the list of all of his names? What is this? What, what the impact should it have on us, right? If you go to mass and, and a Catholic church today and they're celebrating the, uh, the, the optional memorial and you hear these lectionary readings about the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and they tell you the name of Jesus is important, 
What do you do? And I, I, I think if you look at the world of Christianity, there's a lot of confusion about it, right? Because some people will throw out the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and everything, right? They just, in the name of Jesus this, in the name of Jesus, they, they throw it out so, in such a common manner, that at some point you almost start wondering if they're taking it in vain. Then others don't really use that language at all. Well, okay, typically that means there's what? An imbalance. So let's look at some of the things that they think is significant about the name of Jesus, and we'll see what we can do with it, all right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through different articles pointing these out, and then we'll look at it. I wanted to just take Philippians 2 apart. It's really what I wanted to do, because we could go all exegetical there, because I think there's some important points. Maybe we'll get there. We'll go through these quickly, depending on how fast we go, all right? So now we're just going to give us some of the significance to the name of Jesus, all right? Here we go. Salvation and redemption. The name of Jesus represents the means by which humanity is saved. Salvation and redemption is connected to his name. All right? Now, some of these are going some of these articles use the same verse, but for different ideas. So y'all keep good track of the points because we, we may have to modify, we may put some of these together. So if we were going to say, okay, the name of Jesus is associated with salvation and redemption, where would be the first place you would go? I would think Matthew's where we go, right? Okay, and that's verse what? It's chapter one, verse 18, right, is where it starts. It happens in verse 21, and she shall call, she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name. Matthew 1, 21, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name of Jesus is, he is called Jesus because of he will save his people from their sins. He is the savior. He will, he is the one who will bring salvation. So the name of Jesus is significant because that name is the name by which we find salvation in which our salvation, put it this way, my salvation is 100% guaranteed not because of my name or my action. My salvation is guaranteed because it is in his name based on his action. Correct? They use a different passage. They say Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. So look at Acts chapter 4. Does anybody know what Acts 4.12 says? No? All right. Acts 4.12. It's usually a common one to to memorize as a new Christian. Because you typically use this in evangelizing someone. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby what we must be saved. Right? And how do we know that, that they're referring to Jesus there? Go back to verse 10. Be it known unto you all, unto all the people of Israel, that by the 
name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God hath raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you, of you builders, which has become the head of the cornerstone. Neither is there salvation and in e other. Everybody see that? All right. So it is the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus that absolutely is connected to it, all right? The, the, this principle of salvation and redemption highlights the unique and definitive role of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. So we reverence his name. We remember his name. So we can think of this. We reverence the name. What does it mean to reverence a name? To honor Okay, someone look up the definition of reverence just so that we have a good working idea. Respect it, honor it, just any other words that are associated with the definition. Let's build like a basic concept here that we can take from today. I can't believe we're running out of time. Yeah. Deep respect, veneration. So we should venerate and respect the name of Jesus, right? Because our entire salvation is dependent upon not just the name, but obviously the person, right? I mean, it's just not just, an, it's not the name. I mean, let's always, let's make sure we understand this. The name, the significance of the name and the power of the name is because it's associated with the person, right? It's really the person, The name is just signifying what the person has done. He will save his people from their sins. There is no other name in heaven whereby I can be saved. That's why then as Christians, we would say how we use the name of Jesus should be done with reverence and respect. We should not use it then in what ways? As a curse word and a joke. You may want to tell pastors that, right? Jesus should never, I've said it a million times, when pastors tell jokes, don't ever, if you're in a church and your pastor tells jokes and God, Jesus, or anything in the Bible is used in it, you should just get up and walk out. Because, I mean, that, I mean, like, I would, I would prefer them to come to the pulpit and tell a dirty joke than using Jesus or God because that is literally like, that's the antithesis of what we're, we're like, the name of Jesus is, and well, no, that's, that's, no, we can't do that, all right? So everybody understand that? That we show reverence to it. And again, why are we showing reverence to it? Not out of some legalistic obligation. Our entire salvation, we are saved by him. It's in him, right? When, when I stand before God, if he doesn't see Jesus, I'm done, Right? Does that make sense? All right. I think that's very important. Okay. Next, invocation and prayer. Devotion to the holy name of Jesus encourages believers to invoke his name with love, reverence, and faith. The faithful are encouraged to pray the Jesus prayer. Now, oh, I, I want to go into the history of that, but that's going to, I don't have time. Right? Or simply call upon the name of Jesus in times of of need, seeking his intercession, guidance, and protection. Now, if I go to a different thing, this is what they say. They're, they're going to say, they're going to use it, they're going to state it in pretty much the same way. So the first thing we have here is uh, salvation and redemption, and then we're just going to put prayer. 
right? Now, they, they, they say to pray the Jesus prayer. Okay, that goes back to church history. We won't get into that. But that we are encouraged to pray, in a sense, to Jesus or to seek him. Another, another one puts it this way. Prayer and access. Believers are encouraged to pray in the name of Jesus. To pray in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm just going to put you on the spot just for, for a sake. I've got one. Someone find me some scriptures that would talk about us praying in the name of Jesus. Because we get that idea from somewhere. Where do we get the, where do we derive the idea from? Praying in the name of Jesus. Do what? You got to Google it. Google it. Ask a friend, a neighbor, Alexa. Ask whoever. I could, I could use, I could ask AI. I bet you AI would beat all of you. Right? Anybody know? Anybody know? I've got one here in front of me. I won't, I won't give it away. Come on. If someone was to say, why do we pray? What verse? John 10. Okay. I'm in John. I'm in a different part of John, but that's good. Okay. John 10. All right. What verse did you say? All right. Uh, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep. I'm the father knoweth me. Uh, don't see, I don't see it there. Okay. Hey, it's how you ask the question on Google is how you get the right answer. Okay. I think you're close, but I don't think it's John 10. Anybody going to run out of time. Oh, we have Matthew 6, 9. All right, let's go to Matthew 6, 9. Um, pray ye our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No, that's not going to help us. It, well, it depends on how you're asking Google the question. Okay, hang on. I'm typing something out. Let's see who wins here. Let's see who who wins. All right. I just asked AI. I just asked AI. AI is typing right now. Oh, the, you tied AI. Of course, you've been working out for 35 minutes, but all right. Here's what AI says. You ready? You ready? Hang on. Uh, and I, I got to let for it all to fill in. All right, here we go. Yes, this is what AI says. Yes, the Bible teaches us to pray in the name of Jesus. In John 14, 13 through 14, Jesus himself said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my father may be glorified in the son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Praying in the name of Jesus means praying in alignment with his character, authority, and purpose. 
It recognizes Jesus as our mediator and the one who intercedes on our behalf before God the Father. When we pray in Jesus' name, we acknowledge our faith and dependence on him and asking for his will to be done in our lives. So when we, when we, when we think of the name of Jesus, let's do this quickly. Number one, we must reverence it and respect it and how we treat it because our entire salvation is associated with it. My salvation is in the name of Jesus. It's based on the name of Jesus. It's based on what he did, not what I do. But I pray in the name of Jesus. And why do I pray in the name of Jesus? Because I understand I have no access to prayer unless I have, unless I have Jesus. So to pray in the name of Jesus is you coming to Jesus to acknowledge that without your sacrifice, I have no access. I can only approach the throne of grace through Jesus or because in his name. It's in his name. Right? It's like, it's like there's some club or some, something that you want to get into, but the only way you can get in is you've got to have someone's name. You've got to be able to mention their name and they'll be like, oh, we'll let you in. Well, there, there's no coming to the Father. There's no coming to the Father except through Jesus. That's why we pray in his name. We Sometimes we think we pray in his name just to throw it in as a little tag at the end. Ask a lot of your Christian friends, why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Well, because, I mean, the Bible tells us to. But why? <laughs> why? Why? Because you're acknowledging what? In Jesus' name. I'm attaching his name to the prayer because without Jesus' name... I'm just a sinner who doesn't, probably the only thing I should pray for is mercy, right? I shouldn't be asking God anything else, right? Except forgiveness. The reason I can bring intercession and petition is not because I'm approaching God in my holiness. I'm approaching God in the name of Jesus. Therefore, I stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. That's how I can intercede and petition for anything. Does that make sense? But AI even adds more to this. To pray in the name of Jesus means I'm trying to pray in alignment with his will and his character. So many times we may pray, throw in Jesus' name, but we're not praying in alignment with his character or will. We're actually bringing our will and what we want to the prayer. No, if I'm praying in the name of Jesus, it has to be in alignment with him. Does that make sense? So when we, when we remember the name of Jesus, we remember it as it relates to our salvation. We reverence and honor it because of our entire salvation. And we remember it when it comes to prayer. Right? All right, look at uh, Ephesians 5.20 really quick. Just look at Ephesians 5.20 really quick. Ephesians 5.20. What does Paul say in Ephesians 5.20? We got to move quick. We got to move quick. I wanted to at least get one more. See, I thought I was going to get to Philippians, but because I really wanted to ex- do an exegetical study of it, but not happening. Ephesians 5.20. What do we have? Giving thanks always for all things unto God our Father in... The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. There's another one. Our prayer, we do it in the name of Jesus. Because we, look, why can you pray with any level of confidence? 
Because you're doing so in the name of Jesus. By doing in the name of Jesus, what are you telling the Father? I come before you, not because I'm righteous, not because I'm holy, but because your son is perfect and righteous and holy. Therefore, I approach you with these petitions and intercessions in the name of your son. That's why we pray in his name. It's not just something we throw in. It's just not like a little tagline that you've just been doing out of who knows why you're doing it. And the fact if you've been doing it and you didn't know the reason you're doing it, that means you were taking his name in vain. You got to know why you're doing it. And I think most Christians would not be able to even articulate it at all. And which would be horrible. Because you can't take his name in vain. That's literally we are told not to take his name in vain, right? You're using it in a meaningless, empty way if you don't even know why you're doing it. So does that make sense? All right, now. Oh, there's two. I got to pick a third one. 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 Which one do I want to go? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right, we have... We, we, the, the name of Jesus is connected to our salvation and we're to pray in his name. Why? Because it's connected to his salvation. But there's a third one. All right, I'm gonna, I don't know which way I want to go here. All right? uh, I'm going to go this. The name of Jesus, authority over evil. Now, you may want to put a question mark here because I don't know exactly how this is to be utilized, but there are many there, there are lots of different ways. In fact, there's two, I got two articles that go two different directions, but it's saying the same thing. One classifies the name of Jesus as spiritual warfare. The holy name of Jesus is regarded as a powerful weapon against evil and temptation. By invoking the name of Jesus, believers signify their reliance on his authority and presence, seeking his help in overcoming spiritual battles and resisting the forces of darkness. So they say the way we use it is when we face difficulty, struggle, or temptation, then we invoke the name of Jesus. I, that almost feels like a, like a magical formula. And I'm not so, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I have a little problem with that, right? Oh, I'm struggling with it. In the name of Jesus, make it go away. And then, like, I don't know. I don't know if it works that way. Because the, for me, the only way it would ultimately work is I would say the name of Jesus and what would have to disappear? my sinful nature, not whatever. Remember, my issue comes from within, not from without. We always point to the thing that without. If that thing wasn't there, if that thing wasn't there, I may not have committed the external sin, but I guarantee you the internal sin was already present before the external manifestation of said sin. Everybody understand that, right? Uh, Because the church, we only focus on the external manifestation, which is always weird, right? We will discipline someone for the external manifestation, But there could be someone sitting on the other side of the pew who's guilty of the internal, but they'll never be in trouble. So it's kind of a weird, a weird kind of thing there. So I don't know. I don't know if I like that idea. Another one states it this way. Authority over evil. They say, look at Luke 10, 17. Luke 10, 17. I don't know. I don't know what I. I don't know what I want to do with this one. Now, if you look up the, just so that if you, if anybody wants to take this, uh, you know, if want extra study, if you look up name on the Blue Letter Bible app, name is used 170 times in the New Testament, and a whole bunch of those are very significant to the name of Jesus. 
So there's 170 verses. Now, some of them have none, but they're like things about hallowed be thy name, but others about how, hey, Lord, in your name we did. Remember the famous passage in Matthew 7? Hey, Lord, in your name we did this, 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 this. And he says, I never knew you. So just doing something in the name of Jesus doesn't mean anything. So that's, that's also a word. That's a whole thing. But what does it say in Luke 10 here about the name of Jesus? Yeah, Jesus sent out 72 disciples who returned rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now they say, therefore, the name of Jesus would be invoked, maybe encountering a demonic presence. Okay, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Now, when you ever end up in a real situation, you can try it, okay? I don't know exactly how, again, we, and so what some people do is they do that just about anything, right? Anything bad is happening. They're like, in the name of Jesus, stop. Well, you, in the name of Jesus, tornadoes stop and tornado still destroys city. In the name of Jesus, war in Ukraine, and well, people keep dying. In the name of Jesus, poverty go, and people keep dying of, you know, starvation. So sometimes we, we, we almost start using it in a very like, no, I, don't, I don't know how it works in spiritual warfare. I really don't know. I don't know. Here's the one way I know it works in spiritual warfare. I'll just throw some ideas out. What is one inevitable result of spiritual warfare? What's one inevitable result? Well, forget spiritual warfare. Let's use it this way. What's the inevitable result of war? People die. People are wounded. People are maimed. People are severely hurt, right? That's an inevitable result. When This is the thing I always think the church misses on spiritual warfare. When we think spiritual warfare, we like this Hollywood version, right? But the, it's not a Hollywood like, ooh, you know, this present darkness by Frank Peretti and all those books that were so popular. You know, we want to be fighting like we're fighting Satan, right? In some magical way. Well, the real, real spiritual warfare is not fighting an external demon. It's fighting an internal sinful nature. So that never gets the press, right? We like the external enemies, right? And so then we're going to bound Satan here. And we're going we're to walk through our neighborhoods and do a prayer walk. And in the name of Jesus, I bound Satan from this neighborhood. Okay, yeah, I've seen Christians do that, right? All this stuff, right? And it's, just, it's like sometimes you're like, I don't know what, what's happening here. I don't know what's going on here. The real, so spiritual warfare first and foremost takes place internally, not externally. Okay. So I do need the name of Jesus because when, I, when I'm fighting the war internally, what am I going to realize? My own sinful nature and my only hope against that sinful nature is not that God's going to eradicate it now because he's not. <laughs> my only hope is that sinful nature cannot destroy me because I am covered by the blood of Jesus and I am saved in the name of Jesus. So the name of Jesus there gives me confidence that even though I struggle and fall. But here's another thing we need. I always say this, spiritual warfare requires one thing from the church and everyone in the church should be what? A battlefield medic, right? Everyone in the church should be a battlefield medic. And if you've, if you've never, if you, let's just pretend you've seen a war movie, all right? Someone gets wounded and what does someone scream out? Medic, right? And then the battlefield medic comes running through there. He's got his Red Cross you know, armband on. He's got his medic bag, and he does the bare minimum to try to stop the bleeding, to move him from the front line back to the first you know, group of tents and medical tents so that they can possibly move him to another so they can get further uh, care. 
Well, and, and, and Christianity, we, in a sense, we, instead, of a, instead of a red cross, it could be a red cross, we have a cross, right? In fact, even the, the medical badge is, is associated with the serpent on the pole. Right? It, it has, it's rooted in clear Christian biblical symbolism, right? But we have the sign of the cross to run to find those who have been wounded and beaten and broken in spiritual warfare. And then we come to them in the name of Jesus, not casting out a demon, but to do what? To give them the comfort and the peace than the hope that comes from Jesus, because what does Jesus do for the broken and, the, and, and those who are hurt? He brings salvation. He brings forgiveness. So in spiritual warfare, the name of Jesus is needed to tend for the, the broken and the hurt. Because in every, in every Christian life, there's going to be failure and there's going to be sin. It's in the name of Jesus. So I think that they, they tend to approach it like, how I'm going to be fighting it. I don't, I don't know exactly how that works. And the name, I know some people will say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, stay out of this building, right? When they preach a sermon, right? And it sounds so dramatic. So I don't know, like, if you say that to Satan, go, er, can't go to that church, or the demons have to get out of the church. But the problem is, it's not the demons in the church. It's the people in the pew who have a demonic nature, <laughs> That's the problem, right? My problem isn't what Satan tries to get me to do. It's what I try to get myself to do. It's not Satan. That, like we, I, now, Satan is active, yes. But, I, I mean, like, it, it's so weird. Like, when you try to think about the Christian world, sometimes it's so weird to me, right? Because, like, who's supposedly in charge? God is ultimately omnipresent. He's omnipotent, right? So if Satan is roaming about, then I'm supposed to go, in the name of Jesus. And then Satan's supposed to be like, ah, I'm going to run. I don't know what to do. It's like, well, if, why wouldn't God just... <laughs> like, it, like it, it, You see how that doesn't make any sense? Like if Satan's roaming around and I just say in the name of Jesus and he has to run around, why doesn't Jesus just make him go away and just be done with it? Like, it's just so weird like how that... Like, you no know, Christians don't sometimes think out the logistics of what we say. We just say crazy things. But I do know how it works. So here's what I would say. On this day that is set aside to remember the name of Jesus, we reverence it and we want to remember the name of Jesus every single day because our entire salvation is in his name, not in our action work. It's definitely not in my name. Okay? Second, we pray in the name of Jesus, not because it's a little tagline. It's because what we are saying is only because of Jesus can I do anything because it's his, perf- his righteousness. And hopefully our prayer will be then in accordance with the name we're praying in. Okay? And in three, the name of Jesus is important in spiritual warfare. And I'm going to say to bring the comfort found in Jesus, right? To bring that. And to say that even when I look into myself, what do I see? I see my own failure, my own weakness. In the name of Jesus, I, because I need to be reminded of what he has done for me. How, how it's used in a power way, I don't know. I don't know. And to be honest with you, typically the times I've seen Christians try to do it, it looks really, it, it look, sounds cheesy and it looks foolish because while we're saying it, the very thing we're supposedly stopping doesn't stop, okay? 
And I don't know if that's a, like, we think we have magic powers, right? Like, you know, oh, what's going on? In the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden it just stops. Then all Christians would have magical powers and we don't have magical powers. That's almost treating Jesus like what? Like Like, you know, say his name three times, he appears and makes all the bad stuff go away. And it doesn't work that way. So I think the name of Jesus has to mean something else, right? How it would work in an actual encounter with a demon. I've said it so many times. If someone is demonically possessed, I'll, I'll, I'll just stop here. What does the person need? They need salvation. So then what I, my approach was, if I was to ever encounter someone who I truly believe was demonically possessed, then I may say in the name of Jesus, asking Jesus to silence the demon so that I could speak to the person. I don't want to sit there and have a 45-minute dramatic YouTube video of me talking to a demon. That's of no value. I need the demon to be silent so I can speak to the person. And why do I need to speak to the person? So I can present the gospel. Because if they believe the gospel, if if they believe the gospel, the demon has to go. Because a person saved cannot be possessed by a demon because they are possessed because they were purchased with a price. They are, they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the demon would have to go if we were to really get down to the technicalities of how that would work, right? We like the dramatic demon and name yourself and demon, where did you come from? And they have these dramatic, have you ever seen the videos of it? It's just, it's just crazy. And they have the back of it and then the person is totally, and then they get, it's just like, what? It's like, like something from Hollywood, like the exorcist. And you're like, this can, can this just stop? We need to talk to the person because even if you were to remove the demon, If the person is not saved, the demon could just come right back. Because what do we believe about someone who's not saved? They belong to Satan already. So they belong to his name. So the way the name of Jesus would be invoked in spiritual warfare is you need someone to now Believe in Jesus so that they are in him and therefore they're saved in his name, by his name, and can pray in and by his name. And in a sense, they are protected in and by his name in that sense. All right, we're going to have to stop there. We didn't even get anywhere close to finishing this subject, but there we go. Point is today, think about all the significance to his name. Realize that this has been talked about in church history. Clearly, made a day in the 15th century, but it goes back. And do we truly reverence him? Do we truly remember his name and our salvation? Because a lot of times people, salvation is more about our name than his name. And when we pray, do we really know why we're praying in the name of Jesus? And do we truly understand how to use the name of Jesus in any form of spiritual conflict? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, we thank you for a day set aside to remember the name of your son. Only in him that we find our salvation. And Lord, we have no business to ever approach you in any other way than through his name. We are grateful for the salvation, for his shed blood, for his imputed righteousness. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us a convicted heart about how we've treated the name of your son and that we would do differently moving forward. And it's in his precious name we pray. And God's people said,